But long before I was born, my grandparents decided they were going to take each one of their grandchildren to Disneyland in Southern California. What they didn't count on was their two children took way too seriously that part in the Bible about being fruitful and multiplying. So they just wanted, by my second grade year, they just wanted it over. So two of my cousins, my sister and I, flew to California. And I can remember being in the rental car. I was mesmerized. The people were exotic. The buildings strange. The sun even seemed warmer. It was like being in a galaxy far, far away from the little Iowa town that I was raised in. And then I saw it. This box light like structure. And there was a line of people wrapped around the building. And I wondered, what was in that building? And then I saw the marquee. Star Wars. And I blurted out, what is Star Wars? And my older cousin said, it's a movie, dumbass. <laughs> and my grandfather bellowed from the front seat, we didn't come all the way to California for you to go to a movie. Now, a normal child would have heard this as you're not going to that, this movie. I heard it as, I dare you not to go to this movie. And he was going to lose. So that night, when everybody else went to bed, I snuck into the bathroom, went out the bathroom window, and ran the five or six blocks to the movie theater. And the sea of humanity had grown. And I had another problem. I didn't have any money. <laughs> then I spied three teenage girls at the front of the line, probably juniors or seniors in high school. I ran up to them and promptly burst into tears. The kind of sobbing where you can't catch your breath. And I said, my brothers beat me up and took my money and all I want to do is see Star Wars. The blonde with the feathered hair knelt down and hugged me. As her two friends angrily looked at every teenage boy in the line. She then took my hand, and we went in to see Star Wars, and for the next two hours, she held me against her chest. <laughs> I watched a universe unfold that I couldn't have imagined. And as Luke Skywalker blew up the Death Star in his X-Wing fighter, I realized two things. One... I liked Star Wars. And two, I really, really, really like girls. <laughs> but the problem was, unlike Luke, who didn't go back to Tatooine, I had to go back to Little Story City, Iowa. And unlike today, where there's sexuality and nudity everywhere, 
People kept their clothes on back then. And I think it was a Norwegian rule that you had to put on another layer on top of that. But still, I wanted to understand that mystery. What was going on with this, the opposite sex? And I got my first chance to solve that mystery a few months later when my Cub Scout troop was cleaning the ditches on the south end of town. As I was picking up styrofoam cups and pop bottles and putting them in garbage sacks, I came across a bundle of wet, soggy skin magazines. Dirty magazines. And being the good young Christian boy that I was, I looked around, and when I saw no one was looking, I grabbed them and ran as fast as I could to my mother's station wagon and hid them in the back. <laughs> and that night, after everyone had gone to bed, I slipped out of my bed in my underwear, and with my best ninja-like moves, I moved through the farmhouse, trying not to make any of the boards squeak. I went past my parents' room, down the steps, through the kitchen, out the door, past the dogs, grabbed the magazines, ran back into the house, stealthily slid up the stairs, ran into the bathroom upstairs, spread them out on the floor to dry. <laughs> and I can remember gingerly turning the pages. And I'm going to be honest. I didn't understand half the words, and I'm pretty sure a few of them were misspelled. So I decided to look at the pictorials. And the first pictorial was two British redcoats were in a rowboat and they spied three American maidens on a hilltop. I wish I could tell you the rest of what happened, but I promptly fell asleep. It was one o'clock in the morning, five hours past my bedtime. I woke to the sounds of my dad getting up to go to, go to work. So I quickly gathered all the magazines, threw them underneath the bathroom sink to hide them, slid into my bed, and waited for the next hour till it was my time to get up. I bound down the stairs. My mom was in the kitchen preparing our breakfast. She turned, and she looked at me and almost wept. What I hadn't realized is as I had passed out on these magazines, my skin had absorbed all the newsprint <laughs> and all the colors. So I probably had a breast on my forehead, a centerfold on my chest, the adventures of a pizza delivery boy going down one arm, a poor girl who didn't make it to class all semester but still wanted an A from her professor on my leg. <laughs> Mrs. Soderstrom's baby boy was the illustrated man. I was a walking Dear Penthouse letter, and all the scrubbing in the world was not going to get rid of it. So my punishment, if you call it a punishment, was I got to stay home from school for several days until it wore off. But still, that mystery remained. I wanted to understand girls. I really did. 
So four or five years later, our little town got a mom-and-pop video store. And one of my distant relatives was the manager. And I would ride my yellow 10-speed bike into town every chance I would get and talk with him. And I knew more about movies than anybody else. And finally, one day, he said, Trevor, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you rent any movie in the store. And I said, any movie? (laughs) And he said, any movie. And a light went on over my head. Bing! I was going to be rich. I said, even those movies way in the back, on those two little shelves, you know, the movies you don't want to show your mom? And he reluctantly said, yeah, even those. Every week, my friends and I had a backyard football game. And as... We were taking a break. I said, boys, have I got a deal for you. (laughs) I can get movies that show what we all want to see. And tonight, in my dad's office, I'll show one. And I'm only going to charge you three or four, two or three bucks a head. That's like $14. I'm rich. I should note at this point that my father is a funeral director. (laughs) Nothing creepy at all about preteen boys watching pornography in a funeral home. (laughs) So just before dark, I rode my bike into town. And I had a lot. I put the movie in. I pushed play. My friends, all my five or six friends gathered around. And I had a lot of questions. I was worried, it was, the, the plot was about a marathon race. And I was worried about the poor women running the race, that they were going to twist their he- ankles in their five-inch stiletto heels. <laughs> their underwear seemed rather fancy. And I worried about them hyperventilating because their clothes were so tight. But mainly, the movie was a massive disappointment. For the first 45 minutes, it was clean. So clean you could have shown it to a group of nuns and they would have yawned. And my friends having the attention span of squirrels wanted to leave. And I said the only thing I could think about saying, the only thing that really mattered to me, no refunds. No refunds, no refunds, no refunds. Well, my best friend Matt, who looked like a long-lost Kennedy brother, decided to stay back and help me clean up, put the chairs back into place. And as we were putting the chairs back into place in my dad's office, I turned, and there in the doorway was my father. And he seemed to fill the doorway. Hi, Dad. And my dad looked at me and said, Trevor, your mother doesn't want you riding your bike home at night on a darkened highway. I'm here to take you home. Great, Dad, let me push, let me stop the movie and we'll go. No, 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 no. You boys finish watching your movie. I'll just take a nap on the couch behind you. And as my dad disappeared into the darkness behind us, 
I could hear him lay down on the couch in the springs, creak. And at that moment, this thing went from being the cleanest thing ever to being pure filth. <laughs> it was like Caligula in the Marquis de Sade had decided to make a screenplay. Bodies were making noises I've never heard before or since. I'm not even sure some of the stuff was sex. It was horrific. And I braced myself. And if you want to know the difference between a girl and a boy's friend, I started to blush. And my friend Matt started to laugh because he knew I was a dead man walking. And the redder I got, the more my friend laughed. He couldn't control himself. And I braced for my dad to grab me because I knew the hammer was going to come down. And this went on for an hour. Depravity after depravity. I didn't think my head, I looked like a strawberry. The movie ended, thank God. And my dad rose up from the couch. And the entire time that we were watching that movie, like Edgar Allan Poe's Telltale Heart, I could hear those springs creaking on the couch. But my dad got up and said, it's time to go, Trevor. Go get your bike, put it in the back of the car. And my friend Matt was laughing so hard, he fell into the bushes as we exited. Like a drunk, and I thought, why isn't, he kill why isn't my dad killing me yet? And I decided, well, he he's probably wanting to be the cool dad. You know, the cool dad? My dad had never wanted to be the cool dad. But maybe that's why he's not killing me yet. As my friend disappeared into the darkness towards his house, I thought, now the hammer's going to come. Now I'm a dead man. My dad just simply got into the car. Now I had seen enough police procedurals to know this is the point where they take the victim outside of town, someplace rural, to kill them. Like my house. And it was the longest mile and a half drive of my life. I was making my will. I had nothing to give anybody, but I hope someone would remember me. And as my, my dad pulled the car into park, I shot out of that car as fast as possible because I didn't want to be strangled in the front seat of the car. I wanted at least some running room. I grabbed my bike out of his trunk of his town car, set it down, and before looked, and he was already walked into the house. And I thought, what's going on here? And I decided, well, you know, my dad's real old. He's like in his 40s. So he might be conserving his energy because the, the whipping I am going to get over this, because I've crossed every boundary possible. He wants to be fresh and full of vinegar. Worst night of sleep of my life. Worst. I didn't sleep at all that night. In the morning I got up, there was my dad, 
And every time he would say my name, I would flinch. And oh, but nothing, not a thing, didn't say a word. And over the course of the next month, I started to develop a tick. <laughs> and to jump at any noise. And this went on and on until finally nothing happened. Now, my father and I are good Norwegians, so we have never talked about that night <laughs> or any other emotion or feeling for that matter. So I don't know if he really fell asleep on the couch or if it was some parental Jedi mind trick. All I do know is it was the worst punishment of my life. <laughs> Thank you.